0: Hi, I am so glad that you are joining me for this podcast. It's a slightly longer version of the the Sunday morning talk that I gave about Paul on the road to Damascus as part of the interrupt series of Sunday morning talks, exploring what can happen in our lives and in the world when we become interruptible by Jesus And what I would love us to do um, during this podcast is to really exercise our imaginations and try and put ourselves in the feet of this young man and the extraordinary experience that he had with Jesus. And we'll dig a bit deeper into the three invitations for our lives in this um, passage. And perhaps as you listen, you might just linger and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. What is the why is there something particularly that resonates with you? Something that he may be encouraging you to explore in a bit more depth. So let's think about this young man, Paul. He was actually known as Saul. We're not quite sure why his name changed, except that he spent a lot of his time um, outside of the Jewish community in his, in his later life. And so maybe Paul was a name that was just easier in that context. But the young, the young Paul was born in a city called Tarsus in Turkey in about AD 5 or 6. And Tarsus was this kind of vibrant, cosmopolitan, worldly trading city um, on the Mediterranean. And this was the place where he grew up. And he was born into a Pharisee family. I mentioned in my earlier talk a little bit what Pharisees were, but they were this sort of subset of Jews who believed very much in in sticking to the letter of the law, who were incredibly devout and incredibly strict about doing absolutely everything they could to be fully obedient. To the one true god of israel i think they get a bit of a bad rap these days the the, the, the notion of a pharisee is sort of someone who is very holier than thou and and looks down on other people that's kind of how it's come to to be understood in common parlance isn't it but actually in some ways i think it does the pharisees a little bit of a disservice the original ones because this did come out of a real urgent uh, devotion to god they believed that that god would bless them and bring them liberation from being under the boot of the roman empire if they could just be obedient enough just be correct enough and be obedient enough so you can see the kind of the heart and the urgency behind how they lived their lives and behind how they understood their faith and understood god but it turns out that this young man was particularly brilliant he spoke several languages, including Hebrew and Amoraic and um, and Greek. He was uh, an extraordinary scholar. He even says it himself of the Torah. That is the, the law of Moses. He knew every tiny little part of that. And in fact, he, he knew the whole of the Hebrew scriptures with such incredible detail. He also mixed a lot uh, with the people in Tarsus who were into their Greek philosophy. So he was well versed in philosophy. He, he talks particularly, um, we hear him in the Bible talking about the Stoic philosophers. He was, he, ha- he was really able to pick up on what they were trying to explore as well. And he had this incredibly penetrating mind. He was so sharp, he was so able to absorb information. He had such a, a sort of clever, insightful way of thinking. And on top of all this, he was amazingly religiously devout. He really, really wanted to be as obedient as he possibly could. And he had this kind of personality, it seems, and it's, and it's all over the New Testament of being kind of driven and ambitious and confident and full of passion. Um, he actually says that um, in Acts when he's describing himself. He says, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a man who is passionate to do the will of God. So that's quite a a powerful, heady mix, isn't it, in one young man. And he had already been persecuting the local um, followers of Jesus. He had been um, imprisoning and beating, and he was instrumental in the stoning to death of Stephen, which is mentioned um, earlier in Acts And so he had, in a sense, got this taste for blood. He had got this taste of being powerful, of doing something really heroic. And I I can't but help wonder if he sort of modelled himself on some of the heroes of the Old Testament. People like Elijah and Phinehas, who stopped at nothing to eradicate anything that got in the way of true, obedient Jewish culture and faith and obedience to their God, to Yahweh. You can read about Elijah and Phinehas in in Numbers and Kings and they're quite hair-raising stories, but he definitely felt he had this kind of holy mandate to do the will of God, to eradicate anything that stood in the way of, of the Jewish faith and the Jewish culture being everything it should be in God's sight. Um, I mentioned in my earlier talk that um, N.T. Wright, one of our British theologians, describes the young Paul with his head full of Torah and his heart full of zeal. And it's just, let's use our imaginations to to get into the feet of this young man on the dusty hot road to Damascus with such a fire in his heart for God, such a zeal, such an extraordinary confidence that he is right that he is correct, that he is being an obedient Pharisee, a good Jew, doing exactly what God wants him to do. So let's have a look at this story where we find it in Acts 22 in the New Testament. This is actually Paul's own words describing the event um, when he looks back many years later. So he says, I am a Jewish man who was born in Tarsus, a city of Turkey. However, I grew up in this city and was properly trained in the Mosaic law and tutored by Rabbi Gamaliel according to our ancestral customs. I've been extremely passionate in my desire to please God, just as all of you are today. I've hunted down and killed the followers of this way, I have seized them and thrown them into prison, both men and women. All of this can be verified by the High Priest and the Supreme Council of Elders. For they even wrote letters to our fellow Jews of Damascus authorising me to arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a brilliant heavenly light suddenly appeared, flashing all around me. As I fell to the ground, I heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, my Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the victorious. I am the one that you are persecuting. Those who were with me saw the brilliant light, but they didn't hear the voice of the one who spoke to me. So I asked, Lord, what am I to do? And the Lord said to me, get up and go into Damascus and there you will be told about all that you are destined to do because of the dazzling glory of the light, I couldn't see, I was left blind. So they had to lead me by the hand the rest of the way into Damascus. And so what happened on this road? You know, lots of people have tried to explain away this incredible meeting with the resurrected Jesus. Some people have said maybe he was diabetic and had kind of was going into a sort of bit of a semi coma sort of um situation. Maybe maybe he um was just just dazzled by that noonday heat. Maybe he was dehydrated. Maybe he had an epileptic fit. You know, people are trying to kind of medicalize a lot of a lot of uh, this story because it's just so fascinating. And in a sense, it doesn't it doesn't really matter, we'll never know what exactly happened, what exactly was going on. But we can take Paul at his word that he believed he met the risen Christ, you know, just as clearly as the disciples had met the risen Christ after the resurrection. That is that was his experience. And um Wright and other of these theologians have speculated that a man of his devout religiousness religiosity um, on such an important mission to Damascus um, on this long journey would almost certainly have been at prayer probably meditating on scripture we don't know for sure but it's in this um, kind of limbo moment between two places where he's got time on his hands where probably it's very likely he might have been praying or as I say meditating on on his, on his scriptures, that he has this mind blowing experience where he sees Jesus. It's difficult to imagine what that could have felt like. He was flattened on the floor, just dazzled by the brightest of lights, so much so that for a few days afterwards he literally could not see anything Jesus came to him in a blaze of glory and Jesus interrupted his plans his his physical sight for a while his his purpose and his understanding of God and I think it's an important point to notice that he didn't ditch his Jewish faith. It wasn't a very sort of, it wasn't a kind of simple black and white conversion as, as sometimes it's been described, where he he just jettisoned everything of his uh, Judaism and just kind of converted to Christianity. Remember the word Christianity hadn't actually been invented yet. And also the, there was not a day of his life that he didn't live in in love and commitment and obedience to his one true God, that he had always worshipped from his earliest days. He didn't throw away the the solid core of his faith in God, but it was reimagined and reinterpreted and given a brand new understanding that actually Jesus was the culmination of all the hopes of Israel, of all the prophecies and the scriptures. And so this meeting with Jesus turned that understanding absolutely just just gave that to him in a completely new way. But it's interesting that he was able to hold on to the treasure of his old faith while um, embracing the new. And so what is it that we can learn as we imagine this experience of Paul? As we kind of put ourselves in on that dusty road imagining that cataclysmic interruption and vision of the, of the resurrected Jesus. I think that one of the things that has, has, has struck me most as I've pondered and prayed about this passage and tried to imagine myself on that road is the way that Paul um, embraced the new, that he didn't um, push it away, he didn't run away, which you might understandably do in that situation. He didn't um, defend himself. He didn't try and make excuses. He didn't hold on to his correctness. But he he stayed with this experience. He leant into it, and he surrendered himself completely to it. It it just it it, it amazes me that God has given human beings this particular capacity. To, to learn and to change and to evolve and to, um, to understand new depths of um, things in our faith. That becoming a Christian isn't this one and done thing, but it's a long journey, it's a lifetime of travelling with Jesus and getting to know him better and allowing him to change us from the inside out. And that's an amazing adventure, isn't it? That is a a wonderful thing about being a human. And so, what can we see, um, what can we understand about this openness of Paul's heart? We can, we can see that there was a kind of inner flexibility. He was limber in his ability to, to lean into the experience. And it reminds me of um, when I was a teenager, I was lucky enough to be invited on a skiing holiday. And, um, and there was this, this uh, poor ski instructor that, that had to try and teach me. Um, and I remember his name was Uli. I think he might have been Austrian. And of course, I, I just couldn't understand. I, I, I wasn't a natural, put it like that. I couldn't understand why strapping bits of metal to your feet and, and launching yourself down an icy mountain was really a very good idea. And so I, I did what kind of just was totally instinctive. I leant right back, in, like rigid with fear. And, and all I remember, and I, I was only about 15 years old and I can remember it to this day, I just remember Uli at the bottom of this mountain shouting up at me, going, the knees, lean forward. And he just kept saying that again and again. the knees, lean forward. And, and okay, once or twice, when I was so scared that I'd find myself like squeezing my eyes shut, he would holler up the mountain, open your eyes, like that. So the the three messages he was giving me was, "Bend your knees, like lean in, um yeah, lean forward, and don't close your eyes and I think this is um just actually really uh, a good metaphor for growing in our faith is we need to have we need to be limber, we need to have that flexibility and that give that's part of growing kind of bending the knees of our of our faith and of our understanding. And leaning forward when we're met with love and grace and new things by Jesus, to lean forward, not to lean back and be rigid, but to do what we need to do, lean into the experience. You're actually much safer when you're on skis, when you lean a bit forward, not when you lean rigidly back and try and resist. So there's that kind of leaning into the grace and the love of God, and of jesus when when he interrupts our interrupts our lives and our perceptions and and keeping our eyes open you know just having that openness of heart that we would keep trying to see what it is that jesus is trying to reveal to us even if it even if it's a little bit difficult or different to what we've experienced before and I think maybe this is a particular challenge to those of us who have maybe grown up in Christian families or, or been Christians for a very long time. We will have heard all sorts of things about God. We will have been handed down all sorts of narratives and descriptions of what it is to be a person of faith. And as Kate um, read to us that beautiful passage from 1 Corinthians 13 a couple of weeks ago, all of us, every single human being only sees in part the things of God. Of course, we can't see everything. The glory and the majesty and the love and the grace of God is, is more than the human mind can possibly perceive at once. And so everything that we, we hear from other humans about God is their attempt to wrap words and and language around their experiences and their understandings of the divine and they won't be 100% complete. And as we grow and as we walk with Jesus over the years, some of the stuff that we have been handed down, nearly always with great love and in such good faith, some of that will be treasure that we will hold onto for our whole lives long and be so grateful for. But we might find that there are some things that we just we just need to let go of. And that can feel confusing, it can feel like suddenly everything feels a little bit uncertain it's like Paul with his suddenly not seeing clearly not just having that darkness being blind for a few days it can seem like oh the lights suddenly go off if that's not true is is something else not true it can feel a bit disorientating but we need to lean into what Jesus is telling us we need to follow where he's leading we need to to keep our eyes are fixed on him and you know it's not disrespectful and it's not disloyal to be on your path with Christ as your shepherd walking ahead of you following him and your path will look a little bit different to other people's if your faith grows and evolves and is a little bit different in some aspects to say your parents that's okay like you have full permission to follow Jesus in the way that he is following you, each one of us is unique. The the song of our lives will always be a little bit different to somebody else's. If you think of the metaphor of a symphony, you know, everybody is playing the same piece, but my goodness, the piccolo sounds very different to the bass drum. You know, there's a world of difference between the trumpet and the violin. And God is playing the beauty of his love through all of us in slightly different ways. And yes, there will be fundamental truths that hold us all together, but we don't need to fear not having carbon copies of each other's faiths. That's all about being free and being full of grace and following where Jesus is, is leading us. It is bending the knees, leaning forward and keeping our eyes open, as my old ski instructor said. And so what else, uh, uh, what is another invitation of this passage? I think um, the second invitation could be um, just to linger and to listen to God. And I think um, that listening is almost a forgotten skill in our faith, um, especially um, if we're in the kind of uh, charismatic, Pentecostal side of things. Sometimes that faith is very extroverted very joyous very loud I mean wonderful and such a treasure in so many ways but but it it, there isn't an enormous emphasis sometimes on the more contemplative listening skills that are required to um to really hear the whispers of God over our lives and so it's interesting to me that although I believe God can meet us anywhere God is everywhere after all Jesus can interrupt us at the supermarket in the shower uh you know doing homeschooling with our kids wherever and whenever nothing is impossible with God but when we look in the bible at the characters who have these really intimate powerful experiences of God often they are in these kind of limbo quiet spaces on journeys on empty roads maybe on mountainsides or on the sea or in deserts and I think in 21st century life there are very few of these places left. Those sort of spaces where in the uh, you know pre-industrial age we would have been on horses or walking miles to school or to our places of work uh, where we would have been waiting for things to happen you know maybe uh, waiting to see a doctor or um, um, just in some sort of uh, experience where we're just waiting in a queue for something there would be little pools of silence and solitude just little pauses in the day where we can reflect and, and ponder and and think and maybe as people of faith just tune into the presence of God in in that moment And of course now, most of those moments can be filled with scrolling on our phones, connecting with people. We have these smartphones in our pockets. And how many times do you stand in a queue or wait for somebody or, um, you know, spend time just being? We nearly always now fill up these moments with interconnectivity and with scrolling and, and finding things out on our phones And it takes away these opportunities just to be fully present to the moment and to listen in. And I think we've almost got to the point where we need to intentionally now create those moments. So, you know, once or twice or however many times a day you want just to pause just to be present to the moment that you are in maybe find somewhere where you can be quiet and goodness me I know in lockdown that isn't easy if you have small children in particular or a very full house but could you just find moments like little oases in your day where you can pause and and be present to what is in this moment and the God who is holding you in that moment and find some quiet, find some silence to listen in to what God might be saying to you. I think these things are easily forgotten and yet so very, very important if we are to be interruptible by God. And it's also important to remember that our attention is so easily hitched to the material things. And so this intentional decoupling from our busyness, decoupling from our hurry and our schedules and the demands of our day, and intentionally hitching to the silent presence of God, whether that's at an open window, in our garden, as we lie in bed, these are ways in which we can say to God, I am interruptible. What shall I do, Lord? Like Paul said, here I am. Okay. And then the third invitation um, that we can learn from this experience of Paul's is that when we do receive some love and grace into our lives, like Paul, we can learn to share those um, with the world. So Paul was... um, so energetic and so committed to integrating this revelation he had of Jesus into his everyday gritty life. You know, he, there was nothing that could stop him going out and sharing the good news of Jesus that he learned. Whether that was back home in Tarsus or Jerusalem or on one of his many, many missions, he took what he had learned and he was so generous in sharing it. And, you know, our society has become, our culture has become very individualistic and it's very easy to imagine that faith is this sort of private contract between you and God and whilst God does love us individually and does, um, you know, pour his his presence and his love into our lives, it isn't only for our personal transformation and our growing into Christ-likeness but it's to share with generosity out into the world to, to, to be his love and his grace and his rest in the situations that we find ourselves so that our communities and our families um, our places of work can be transformed by the presence of Jesus in us not our own brilliance not our own sort of um, presence being something so special but the living light and love of God within us transforming our our communities because that's the grandest plan of God of all, is to bring everything into restoration, the whole of the created order, reconciled and restored. And how amazing, what a privilege that we get to partner with God and and and, and lean into, lean forward into what he is doing in the world and making ourselves interruptible. By being open-hearted, having this kind of limber, agile attitude of, of growth and embracing the new, of listening, creating practices that help us listen to the the whispers of God in our lives, and then being generous in sharing what we learn. These are beautiful lessons, beautiful invitations that we can take from this passage and this experience of Paul on the road to Damascus. And I, I it's my prayer. That as you listen to this, there might be something in one of those invitations that is calling on your heart. That is the whisper of the Holy Spirit. That, that he does want you to hear him. That you are allowed to grow that he he can't be contained in a in a in a box or a narrative that you've inherited he bursts out of every framework because there is always more of god than we could possibly imagine and that that life with him is an adventure and there's so much wonder to be had and to be shared um in the world so thank you for listening to this podcast and um And if you want to listen to the shorter one, then that's back on YouTube as well. So thank you for your time.